Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is supported by Mind and Child, which offers a video-based Parenting 101 course designed by two child psychologists to teach the core parenting skills every family needs, especially with kids 12 and under. Now, I'm the father of of two young adults, and this kind of thing would have been amazing about 10 years ago when my kids were a lot younger. Parenting 101 is ideal for families who are struggling with behavior issues and for families who are doing okay but just want some kind of tune-up. In fact, one of the developers of this course, Dr. Aaron Averett, was a guest on this podcast in May of 2022. Learn more and get the course at mindandchild.com. That's mindandchild.com. Today's guest is Pedro Lemus. Pedro is a local entrepreneur. He's the founder of Sound by Design, a home entertainment and smart home automation installation company here in Amarillo. And Pedro and I had been trying to coordinate our schedules to record an episode since earlier this year, all the way back to the spring. And we finally got our calendars synced for late October, and then the week before we were set to record, Pedro had a heart attack. Now this caught him off guard because he's really physically active, he's a passionate mountain biker, and he still wanted to record this episode. So we sat down together just a few days after he literally left the hospital. We definitely talk about his health along with his business and his relationship to Amarillo. I'm, I'm relieved he's okay. And I, I mean, I, I think the health scare uh, adds another layer of interest to a conversation that you're going to be interested in already. So this is uh, a unique one. Here's Pedro Lemus. Pedro Lemus, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Great to be here. Great to be here, Jason. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to have you here. Uh, we've known each other for a while, but I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's to ask you how you ended up in Amarillo in the first place. I've, I've heard this question and, and heard you ask people before how they ended up here while I was born here. So okay. that's one of the easiest ways. You started ways. up here. I started here. That's one of the easiest ways to, to end up here is to start here. Uh, I was born over on, in fact, we lived on the east side in the barrio. And uh, grew up on 1702 South Cleveland on the east side. And so that's why I'm here. And my mom, let let me just tell you just a a quick little bit of the opportunity that my mom gave us. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with the school system in the barrio side. Since she worked at Tascosa, she transferred us to the Tascosa uh, cluster. And I went to elementary school at Bivens. Okay at Avondale, Sam Houston, and then Tascosa. So I think that shaped my life early. I really, really do it. I think that was the case. Lived in the barrio, though, the whole time you're going that through school. That was not all the way through school. We did move right before junior high. Okay. But but it was clear that she wanted us to, to start in that cluster. First of all, it was convenient for work. You know, she was yeah. able to drop us off going to work at school at Tascosa. She was a school teacher there for 27 years. But uh, I think that really shaped my life early. Uh, I mean, as far as uh, the mild success that I've had, but that was, I, I thank her so much for that. Do you know much about like how your family ended up in this area? You know, what's, what's funny is I was telling this story earlier today, quite frankly, my grandfather, believe it or not, on Cleveland Street, where we lived, had a small 
like grocery store out of his house. Okay. Like a small convenience store. And that preceded my life, of course, but that definitely, I don't know, you know, being an entrepreneur myself, I think it's maybe been in the blood all along, even though my wife, my mom was a school teacher for so long. My dad uh, was a tree trimmer. He came over from Mexico. Uh, he came over illegally from Mexico and he was the first of the 10 that came over, 10, nine brothers and sisters. Wow. And he was kind of the Christopher Columbus. He got over here kind of settled in and then brought one over at a time. And they're all but maybe like one are over here, you know. In uh, this area? In the area. They, wow. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. In this area. So they all settled in Amarillo, Texas. I unfortunately don't visit with them all that much, but I am proud of being the son of the person that kind of got his family over yeah. here from Mexico. So it's yeah, really... Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting legacy that, you know, you, you give your family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely it is. So you, you went to Tascosa. Um, once you graduated, did you have a plan? Did not have a plan. I think just my personality pushed me into sales. And I've shared this with you before as well, Jason. I'm, I'm the proud owner uh, of a six-year associate's degree. <laughs> and uh, I believe an associate's degree is supposed to take you a couple years. Kids these days, with all the credits that they have, you can do, do, it it, faster do it like a year and three months or something like that. But I started off as an, an engineering student. Uh, I think that played a big role in my critical thinking skills. At you know, Emerald College? At Emerald College. I was going to be an engineer. And crazy enough is I was like very, very, very middle of my class to low of my class. I'm a great BC student, maybe even D sometimes. At that time, everybody was going to A&M, tech. At that time, was going to be an engineer. I think that was just kind of the thing, kind of like we've gone through physical therapy, sure. and, you know, all of the things that are trending at the time. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm a BC student in Emerald College, and there is a multitude of people coming out of UT, A&M. Man, what the, what's the job market going to look for a, like for a BC student at Amarillo College? So I called my mom up one time, uh, like one day, one afternoon, and I said, I'm dropping out of school. And I want to go to art school at North Texas. And so I ended up at North Texas uh, for a little while going to art school there. So that was a lot of fun. How far did you get in that process at, at North Texas? I was there for one semester. Okay. I was there for one semester. I wasn't as much interested in the art school. I was there for the experience. Okay. I was there for the college experience, wanting to get, a, get out of the house uh, and get out of town, quite frankly, and did a good job of indulging in... Uh, Denton and Dallas's nightlife. I very, very much enjoyed myself. Uh, ran out of money and then ended up back here finishing at WT for a little bit, but then finishing completely at Emerald College with the associate's degree that took me, you can understand why it took yeah, six years. Yeah. What was that degree in? In uh, radio TV. Okay. In radio TV. So AC uh, had a really good radio TV I'll program. tell you what, I mean, they have had so much uh, impact in my life and I'm still friends with people that I had in class. And FM 90 was the freaking bomb at the mm -hmm. time. So something to look up to. And, and we really had a good time uh, doing editing. And, and that's where I get a little bit of my creativity was being a, a student at Emerald College in a class of, you know, I went from a class of 500 people at North Texas down to there was 16 of us. Right. So everybody got attention. Everybody was able to edit and show their work and good quality came out of it. So you, you didn't end up necessarily... <clears throat> In the radio TV industry, was was that your first exposure, though, to like the audiovisual world and a lot of the technology that was starting to come about then? It was it was kind of hand in hand. 
when I was at North Texas or when I was in Denton, I got a job at Circuit City. So I, I think as a guy, there's a little bit, I think, of testosterone and electronics built into almost every guy. You know, a little, you know, tinkering of electronics and stuff like that. But I really took a liking to electronics. I worked at Circuit City. Uh, I was not in any sales department. I was just in the CD, you know, music department at the time. But when I came back here, I stayed with Circuit City, still going to school uh, and moved into sales. Didn't got my radio TV degree uh, at Emerald College. Uh, And here's what I found out quickly is that artists and, and TV personalities, radio personalities, do it because they love it, not because they're going to get rich. I found that out quickly yeah. because the income really is not there in that industry. And for artistic people, I think it's more important the product that comes out of it, not necessarily them just getting filthy rich. I think that's for executives and stuff like that. But the mix of Emerald College and Circuit City gave me the love of electronics. And that's what has uh, kind of taken me 24 years of ownership of of sound by design uh, is I left Circuit City back in '98, and that's when I started Sound by Design, and it's been history since then. You know, so that's- tell tell me how that started because sure. there's a big step mm-hmm. between working for somebody at a big box store and then starting owning managing your own company for sure. How did you take that leap? You know what what were the the steps that kind of made you feel like, all right, this is something that I can do. This is something that I'm going to do. For sure. Um, I am a, I, I feel like I'm an entrepreneur at heart, uh, but I'll tell you to be a great entrepreneur, you really need a good support system as well. My wife, Tanya, had a phenomenal uh, executive job, corporate job at Corporate Systems back in the day. And everybody knows Guyan Saunders and what an amazing person he was. Having her stability there gave me the freedom yeah. to make decisions like safety I had, net. safety net. Uh, and just like I've heard stories of, you know, doctors being put through medical school by their spouses and so on and so forth. This was our opportunity to to take that leap. And, uh, and I've done it on two occasions, coming home, just like I told my mom, I was quitting school and going to North Texas with her support. I've come home twice and told Tanya I quit my job. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm glad we're still married uh, and have that support system as well. But uh, it, 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 it's a blessing to have someone in your corner that believes in you, uh, will question you a lot, but, but that's, that's important. The transition from Circuit City to being out on my own was really pleasing the client. You know, there was a, there was a level of help when you're there at the store, the retail store, but there was another, you took it to another level when they asked you if you could come to their house and help it set it, help them set it up. At the time there was only a few boutique custom install companies. Like there, there wasn't even like a geek squad kind of thing. There was not not ever a geek. There wasn't a geek squad at the time. Again, there was a two or three boutique custom audio video companies in town. And really they had their own businesses to run and the clients that would buy product at Circuit City Best Buy was were either stuck with their you always get the brother-in-law story. Yeah. You know, the brother-in-law came over and helped me do it, or son-in-law or or whatever it was. And uh whenever I had the opportunity to be hired by them, you know, on my days off, I found pleasure in seeing the smile on their face at the end of the project. Not just in walking out the store with the, this car full of stuff, but whenever it was all said and done. I'd done that, you know, from start to finish. And that really injected 
you know, rocket fuel into me thinking, you know, maybe I can do this on my own. Hmm. And uh, at the time, think back to 94, 98, whenever the small satellite dishes came out, 18 inch dishes, uh, that was also a self-installation or a professional installation situation. So that was my catalyst. I actually took that leap, not just in AV, but mostly, mainly in the satellite installation business. And that was for sure work. But then the AV stuff came with it, okay. you know, because they wanted to uh, enlighten the experience that they had, you know, new digital television. It wasn't just, you know, bland cable anymore. So that was the real transition from the big box store to my own company. And, you know, those first years were kind of tough. It was just myself. I always tell people it was me, a ladder and a truck. <laughs> and that's kind of how stories start out. And then I had one employee um, that turned into a couple of employees we decided to, we were on the fence. The next big move, uh, Jason, was either building a home as a show home and, you know, tricking it out with all the stuff. Because let me back up just a little bit. How did I get jobs? How was I getting jobs that weren't Circuit City produced? Well, I would take a client to another client's home that I'd just done. And that was okay unless they were having dinner. And unfortunately, at times, <laughs> you know, the times that people were available were after work. And that was that odd dinner time, because if you didn't catch them before dinner, then after dinner doesn't make sense either. Sure. That's eight, nine o'clock. You know, you're not going to be intruding in someone's home. But the weekends worked at, at, at times, you know, during the middle of the day or something like that. So that's how I was able to get uh, the the momentum. And you know, I got kind of tired of doing that. And so that's why we... We, we decided to build a home and then trick it out. So that way we could just show our own home. And that worked for a while until the opportunity to build our own showroom. Or actually, our first showroom was right behind Batteries Plus on Coulter. Yeah. It was a little office right behind there. And then uh, we transitioned from that uh, and grew again. Talked to a couple of partners, uh, Curtis McGill and Dean McLean. Them, pitched them this idea of a, of a retail store uh, area. And he needed a place for his salon, Curtis did, and I needed a place for my new, bigger showroom that we were desiring to build. And we just decided to build that building right there at 5200 South Coulter. So that's how that came about. Where's the bulk of your work right now? Uh, is is it for like individuals who come to you? Is it for builders who are building a home and know they want to trick it out from the beginning? I mean, what's, what's the balance there? Lucky for us, Amarillo is a big, small town. And most of our uh, referrals come from word of mouth. Okay. Even though we do spend marketing dollars, which all of us need to, uh, we definitely are blessed with being in this market. We do get business from builders. Uh, they are business people and they, you know, I understand there's a bottom line. So we're not necessarily invited all the time on a spec situation, but if they do have if we do have a relationship with a builder and they have a customer that's building a custom home, we do get invited to the to the project and and look over what the client's going to desire, what's going what they're going to want. But I'm going to tell you that a higher percentage of the time we are contacted directly. Either a friend of somebody told them to call us, um, and we are fortunate to be getting to the point that it's not Pedro doing the installation anymore. Um, I'm proud to say that we we were getting referrals to Pedro and the fact that I own sound by design, but 
we've grown as a company and I've got a couple salespeople now. And I love the fact that it is now the referring sound by design, not okay. necessarily me. I'm not the face necessarily of the company anymore because I've got multiple other things going yeah. on. So that, that's what I'm really proud of. I, I want to ask about, you know, the business that you're in, because, you know, if somebody gets good at concrete work, mm -hmm. concrete's the same today mm -hmm. as it was 10 or 15 years ago. Just the cost is different. The costs are different. Sure. But the application, the process, the materials, it's all the same stuff. Much. Technology is not the same. No. Like the things that you were installing in 1999 are completely foreign to where we are now. And so there's there's an educational component, mm -hmm. a flexibility, a growth. Uh, you've got to keep up. And I wonder how you do that because you're running a business, mm -hmm. but you you also have to know what's available and how does it work and how do you install it and mm -hmm. how do you get it to talk to these other pieces of equipment. Mm -hmm. So how how do you handle that educational side? Yeah, believe it or not, the it's it's almost like anything else, like even an athlete progressing in how good they are. Uh, foundationally, it's kind of the same. You know, whenever I whenever I am instructing new and in, new installers, new employees, um, I tend to I don't know if I coined this phrase, but it's about delivery and control. How do you deliver the information? Then how do you control it? So to answer your question, how do we keep up? Luckily, it's not like a flying leap of technology change. It evolves. Okay. What a blessing whenever I talk to a client that we did an installation for 12, 13 years ago, when we did put a VCR in, when we did have a big 10 inch twin foot dish or something that, that, uh, you know, was a part of their system. Now it's all HDMI connected. It's not analog connected like it was before. Uh, there's some limitations. Some clients now need, you know, headphone connections being done. It's Somewhat difficult to do with, you know, the HDMI and the digital connection. But to answer your question, continue to answer your question, it is evolving technology, luckily. You know, it's not like we stop doing something and start doing something completely new. It is keeping up with what just what's evolving. Hey, considering the fact that most of our new construction jobs that we've done, they haven't taken cable as a service or direct TV as a service. It is now... It, Cutting the cord is not a topic anymore. It is now normal. It's the default. It is the default now. You know, it, it's rare for us to be waiting on the cable company or the satellite company to show up to give them service. As long as they got internet, we're able to do our job. And, it, you know, it, in a, a business that is built on relationships and word of mouth, you don't really have any one-time customers. You might have a customer now and you do an install and then 10 years from now, mm -hmm. they like need to upgrade sure. and they're going to come right to you. And for so sure. it's just replacing... Stuff that still works and they're still happy with, but now there's there's new stuff out for there. Sure. For sure. Gives them the opportunity to upgrade. Uh, I think that the item in a home quickest to upgrade is a TV. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody wants the newest, shiniest, bigger television. Uh, but receivers and speakers, see, those don't really um, go out of date per se. So they stick around for a while. But yeah, it gives us the opportunity to keep a relationship with a client um, as they build a new home. That's the other catalyst is, you know, let's say they build a new home, gives us the opportunity to put new stuff in their home. Uh, if they move, they typically will leave the old stuff and buy new, but that's an opportunity for them to uh, upgrade as well. You talked about Amarillo being a big, small town mm -hmm. uh, and, and that word of mouth, how important that was. Like, tell me how much being in this environment has impacted the success of your business. Mm -hmm. Like, 
if, if you were in Dallas trying to do what you do, do you think you would have had as many opportunities? Do you think there's something special about the size of Amarillo or the, the way that people interact here that, that has driven some stuff? I think being in a bigger market could have given us the the ability to scale bigger. Okay. I mean, I guarantee you we'd have uh, different gross income for sure because, you know, there's more opportunity. But I want to answer your question by saying this. There's been several people that I've mentored. There's been several people that have just asked me, man, how did how did you make it back when it was 15 years? How did you make it when it was 10 years old? This can be said from your grandfather to your dad to anybody that was – uh, had any service type business, do what you say you're going to do. That has been the most effective, I guess, mantra or whatever it may be. Two things, do what you said you're going to do and just show up. If you do those two things, you're going to get business. Hmm. You, you, you put a bad taste in someone's mouth when, when you skip a call, you don't show up to an appointment that someone's taken out of their day to make an point to meet you. So those two things that I've told up and coming electricians or plumbers or, or anybody that, that wants to do an entrepreneur uh, venture is just do what you say you're going to do. And you're going to please a hundred percent of people. Yeah. You know, you could very well get a second chance, you know, if you missed an appointment or whatever it may be. But if you do those two things, you're going to please a hundred percent of the people that you said you were going to do something for. So I don't want to say it's, oh, it's that easy because we all get busy. Growing pains are tough. That's when you get busy and you do, you know, mind block an appointment or whatever it may be. And then you just have to, you know, make it up by, by being right the second time. Well, especially in that world. I mean, the, the idea of waiting on the cable guy is, mm. it's a cliche at this it point, is. you know? And so if you are in a position where you're providing that sort of service mm-hmm. and you show up, like it's, it's a pleasant surprise. Exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, I tell my installers, I tell my technicians or the teams themselves is, you know, it's very easy to be awesome these days. Yeah. Very, very simple to be awesome. If you've had any restaurant experience lately, you know, it's easy to be awesome because you know, darn good and well, when you've had good service, funny, you look back and it's probably the way service should be, but yeah, expectations are low. Oh my now. gosh. I'm it's saying easy that, to exceed them. The bar is so low now that uh, it does give you an opportunity to, to see those rising stars or the people that really care, you know? So I, I definitely tell my guys, we're in someone's home to make a magical experience for them. So, so be that guy, be that guy that teams up with the cable guy when he shows up, teams up with them, even though they might be grumpy or running behind, you know, they've, they may have had a bad day that you didn't have. Or you, they might have had an equally bad day that you've had, but still be that guy that remembers that we're working for the client and we're here to do the right thing. And that's put a smile on their face. I mean, we're the good guys. Yeah. You know, when, when we show up, they want us there. A plumber, electrician. It's always a bad experience. It, like, something bad has happened to get you to call them. If they're not expanding something, that's for sure. It's something, yeah. it's, it's a negative experience for them to be there. I'm for the most part, it's a positive experience when we're there, you know, so I, I love that, that part of it. Beyond the, the business itself, I know that, you know, you mentioned mentoring some people. I know that you've been involved in a lot of different events and boards and, and, and other ways of investing in the community. Tell me why that's something you've done. I mean, you, you could have just poured all of your time into the business and, and I know you've done a lot of that, but why, why do the extra stuff? Let me tell you why I do the extra stuff. Um, my mother was a single mom raising us as a school teacher. 
And back in the day, that was next to today. It's next to nothing. I mean, you're you're still near the poverty level of income. Uh, being a school teacher, I couldn't imagine doing that. You know, thirty, forty years ago. Yeah. My sister and I lost uh, my father. I've got three sisters, and uh, I've got a, one of each. I just want to back that up. Uh, I have a half sister, a stepsister, and a blood sister. Okay. Uh, and and it's myself as well. Uh, we lost our father when uh, very young. Uh, he took his own life. So I'm I'm a victim of suicide. I was 10 years old. So mm-hmm. I've been without a father figure from the time I was 10 till now. But luckily, I was without my blood father figure. I've been given opportunities to have father figures in different capacities. So the reason that I give back to the community and some and especially kids, I have I've uh, kids close near and dear to my heart because my mom cared a lot. My mom not only did her teaching, but after the fact on, I believe it was on like a Tuesday and a Thursday of the week, she would take the kids from Glenwood, like an after-school program. She'd feed them a bologna sandwich or whatever it may be, and they would do music, like a music afternoon hmm. uh, program, which was good. She played the accordion, so it was, a, it was a portable item that she could take anywhere. So that spirit was in me from the get-go. I saw her giving of her time. She didn't come home, kick off her shoes, and just, you know, relax after after the fact. You know, we had church on Wednesdays, and so we were busy Wednesday evenings, Sunday, and sometimes Saturday as far as church is concerned. But she gave her time back, instilled in me giving back was important, and it is so fruitful. I'm, I'm very much attached to the Downtown Women's Center. Started a youth program over there about six years ago, so six or seven years ago. And the kids that are there aren't b- there by choice. Right. You know, mom was addicted to drugs and she was homeless. That's why they're in the program at the time. They didn't choose that. These kids didn't choose that. And likely they don't have a father figure. So I, knowing what it feels like to grow up without a blood father figure, but to know that there were some out there that were impactful to my life. Uh, you interviewed a few months back, Gail Callahan. Yeah. I want to bring that family up. My best friend growing up with Simi Callahan and his father, Sim the uh, fourth, I'm considering him one of my father figures. Very passively, you know, I hung out at their house a lot, you know, for a poor kid like myself, hanging out at their house, this gorgeous home that they had. Uh, it's It's funny that I think passively, it inspired me to be who I am today. I thought that lifestyle was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, of course, we were still young and being idiots and, and, and you know, being uh, the, the, the adolescent kids that we were. But I still remember that lifestyle. So, Someone who had built a business and it had become very successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't get the opportunity to sit down and talk with him sure. like this. He's since passed away uh, and suffered from cancer, just like my mom when she passed away. But, but I give him credit for being a father figure that that I never, didn't have as 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 my own father, but still giving me the the uh, vision that things can be done and we can live a lifestyle similar to what they grew up in. I want to ask you a, a couple more questions that are probably a little bit more personal than I I ask most guests, but that's because we know each other. <laughs> sure. Um, so one of the things that that I've always thought was was really unique, and and it reflects my own story, is that you uh, you mentioned Tanya, your wife. You guys have known each other and been together since high school days that's right are still together mm-hmm. you work together now mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
from all I can tell, it's still a pretty successful marriage. And I, I want to ask you about that because that, unfortunately, is a unique story. Mm-hmm. You know, it, even even people who work together and are married for a long time, they didn't meet in high school. Right. You know, they didn't sustain that. So tell me a little bit about about how that worked. Yeah, real again, and I I wanted to say a quick story about how we met. I was a I was a cheerleader at Tascosa, and uh, we were doing our summer. Uh, you know, practices and stuff like that. I've never seen Tanya in my life. And she came to pick up one of uh, our teammates, one of our cheerleading partners. Uh, I think Ty McKinney is who she was really good friends with. And I saw her there. This is the strangest thing. That day that I saw her, I told a good friend of mine and one of my cheerleading partners, Josh Miller, I said, I'm going to marry that girl someday. And I didn't know her from Adam. I didn't know what possessed me to even say that. And, and sure enough, that evening, I had to track them down and to see what they were doing. Uh, and of course, they were trying to have their own little girls' time by themselves and, uh, you know, just having some fun. But we really interrupted their their time. And I'm going to flash forward. Uh, you know, we've been together since then. That was the summer before our senior year. So we dated. Even when I went away to North Texas, uh, she was very diligent about staying together. Um, I gave her the speech of like, you, maybe we should see other people, you know, as I was driving away and she said, absolutely not. So, uh, you know, I still ended up having my own college experience out there, but she did tell me if I hadn't come back from North Texas back home that she was going to move there. So one way or the other, she was stuck to me like glue, which is great. Fast forward into, I told you earlier about her support of having a, a very, uh, successful corporate career gave me the opportunity to start sound by design. The gift that was given back to her for that uh, event was for her to be able to then part uh, ways with, with corporate systems and raise our daughter. She didn't have the opportunity to raise Eli whenever he was young, but he, she did get the opportunity to raise Lauren when she was an infant. So when she came home from maternity leave, she stayed home and being that the, the sound by design had flourished into something that was able to support us, um, I remember, again, I hate to scroll on you, but I'm going back to a day that we had going to our accountant's office and us telling him that we wanted her to quit her job. And he said, she can't do that. I guarantee you that I never saw anybody leave that office with more determination that we were going to do it. Huh. She was tearfully. We were leaving tearfully that that she was being told that we couldn't do it. But by God, we did do yeah. it. And, you know, 24 years later, here we are. And uh, that gives us the opportunity to then, you know, she stayed at home with Lauren for a little bit. And just like any new business person, your lack of business knowledge comes up to, to bite you. Taxes and silly things like that that you have to pay. Oh, you have to keep up with those things. And she did a good job. She was very diligent. She's a lot more organized than I am. I fly by the seat of my pants. I've always said I've, I've been recklessly successful uh, because I just kind of find my way out of trouble. But uh, she came on to make sure that the bills were being paid and all that good stuff. And then she became, by default, CFO of the company. Hmm. And when we moved into our new office, we, of course, arranged our office to where we're, we literally work six feet from each other. And I guess that's good enough for, for uh, the pandemic and COVID. We're going to be six feet away. But it is interesting going home and turning off the CFO and CEO hats. Right. We still have to be uh, strive to be happily married uh, couple. And now that we're empty nested, we get to see each other's face a whole lot more than we did before. And uh, we still love each other very much. Uh, not to say it's, you know, Alice in Wonderland every day, 
we're still working on things. And, uh, you know, I think every couple works on things that they struggle with. But uh, sometimes she doesn't like me very much. And sometimes I don't like her very much. But we love each other uh, endlessly. So it, it does work out. Well, and it's clear that you both have your your strengths mm-hmm. and being able to work as a team, even in the business world. And mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that's the same way just interpersonally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes you stronger as a For sure as a couple than maybe you are as individuals. We tend to be, we tend to, to convince each other to do certain things. Uh, I haven't really convinced her to like football all that much. That's my passion. I love watching football, both college and pro, but she did convince me to start riding mountain bikes. And, and I don't know if that was a question coming up, but she was the first one. She okay. got invited to be, uh, to go out on a bike ride with some ladies. Uh, she, she's taught uh, stationary bike, you know, spinning class and uh, cycling at the town club forever and ever. And she's never ridden outside, but one summer and then pan- pre pandemic, she was invited to go out on a girl's ride and loved it a lot. Then tried to convince me to do it. I was somewhat hesitant, got out there and the rest is history. And now, I mean, like, that's your thing. You guys do that together all that's the time. That's our passion. We've, got, we've been to so many places, to, and we've taken our bikes with us. Uh, clearly found detours on trips to go mountain biking. Yeah. We've been to Sedona. We've been to Bentonville several times and just are looking clearly to the end of our working career uh, to, to see what kind of uh, mountain biking adventures we can do post-work. Okay, so we've been talking about doing this interview for several months, maybe a year, you know, and we've had it scheduled a time or two, and then it hasn't worked out. And in the meantime, you know, even after we scheduled this actual interview, um, you you went and had a heart attack. And I I wonder if you could could tell a little bit about that, because I know there are a lot of listeners who probably know you, probably saw Facebook posts out of nowhere, and they thought, holy cow. Pedro rides his bike miles and miles and miles every day. He's in great shape. What's he doing in that hospital bed? And I, I wondered if, if you could talk about that some. Absolutely. Uh, it was as much a surprise to you guys as it was to me. I mean, honestly, last thing I thought I'd be doing would be getting a stent and a balloon. I'm not going to say that exercise is going to keep you from experiencing this event, obviously. And and don't by not... By no means am I uh, Chris Podzimny or uh, Jeff Hall or any of those guys that ride, you know, 50 miles for fun every day. But when when we talk about we probably ride three times a week, that's more than the average Joe, you know. Sure. So we do exercise quite a bit. And, and then Eli and I have been uh, starting to work out more and more uh, in the morning, you know, lifting weights and stuff like that. So what I have to talk about, I can't trace back to to – family history either, you know, for heart disease or whatever it may be. I'm going to say it is lack of, you know, eating perfectly. No, I don't think anybody necessarily eats perfectly, but it's just not having the best diet. And I think the earlier parts of my life that I just alluded to uh, earlier had somewhat to do with it. I, I did smoke early in my life and my kids actually know that I did. Uh, I started smoking whenever I was 14 years old. And and quit back in 05 whenever I decided to quit drinking and smoking. So uh, at the very end of the smoking career, I was kind of a closet smoker. I just I didn't smoke socially all day long. Right. It was it, obviously alcohol was a, a good contributor of me smoking. So quitting one naturally hopefully helped the other. But, you know, I think that very well could have caught up with you because every nurse that I I talked to every doctor, every nurse that whenever I was in the hospital, that was our first question. Do you smoke? Do you drink? And proudly saying no, 
kind of, you know, surprised them a little bit, but also was probably in the back of their mind saying, why is this guy laying here? Hmm. You know, but uh, talking to my co-men out there, uh, I'm going to definitely recommend that you have your cholesterol checked on a regular basis, have your physicals done uh, by your doctors, listen to your body. One thing I was telling my cardiologist and Tanya, I mean, Tanya actually knows, even though we worked out regularly and, and on a normal schedule, I had been feeling fatigued hmm. more than I had before. It's been about three or four months that not even just a 2.30 after lunch dip, you know, in your energy, I have been feeling fatigued and still just pushing through it and going to work out and do other things, but noticeably fatigued. Uh, I was even going to go see my uh, regular physician to see if I was low on testosterone or something. But uh, just, it kind of all makes sense now, which which is unfortunate. But I would definitely encourage my co-40-year-olds turning into 50s uh, to get your cholesterol checked, get that under control. Uh, I know I'm on medication now, but uh, definitely exercise. You know, keep that as, as a regimen because they did say that that helped me. It's going to help me heal quicker, mm. get back on my feet a whole lot quicker as well. And probably the damage that was, there was no damage to the heart, which was great. It was just a uh, an artery blockage. It was a, a full blockage. Um, but exercise, they said, was so important. That, that helped the heart stay um, healthy throughout this process as well. One of the questions, and we were talking about this before we started, that, that I always ask when I know somebody's had a heart attack is, how did you know? Because every guy, you know, whether they're our age or not, feels weird at some mm -hmm, point. Sure. And there's always, do I need to go to the mm -hmm, emergency room? Right. Can I power through and in an hour it'll be better? Right. And like, there's probably a pride thing involved. There's probably a, this will disrupt my family, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the decision to me where you say, oh, this is something I need to go check out. Like, that's a mystery to me. And I, I wonder like how that felt for you because you had you had ridden miles on your bike <laughs> that Saturday. That's right. Uh, that so was. tell me, like, tell me, about your thought process. Was it Tanya saying, I'm taking you, right. we're going to go do this? Right. Uh, and and, and I, like I was saying before the, the interview, Jason, I don't necessarily want to be the poster guy of this event, but I absolutely want to be support and uh, a help to other guys. And I would love this information as well. I would have loved this information to help me out as well. Uh, I would, I'm going to remember even a couple years ago, just just to what you just said, Jason, about, you know, when do I call? When do I not call? When do we go to the ER? When we don't we go to the ER? I, I remember texting my physician, Alan Keister. And luckily, we're on a, we're on a kind of a text basis because I'm his technician as well. But I texted him. I hope I can go back and find the text. I would ask him, I said, so what side of your arm is the wrong one to be if, you know, if I'm having problems, you know, and, and, you know, not to self-diagnose by any means, but, you know, I think it was just heartburn at the time. Uh, and unfortunately that's what I thought it was this time. Just to take you through a quick, that quick day, we went and, and rode, uh, at the, uh, oh gosh, crossbar, crossbar. Ranch. Yeah. at the crossbar ranch. Uh, we, it was an invitation event because, you know, you do have to cross so many private farms, uh, ranches to get there, uh, 10 miles, 10 miles. That's, that's really not much in the, the grand scheme of things for riding, uh, on a, on a weekend daily basis, you know, we ride 15, 16 miles yeah. in the Canyon. That was a lot more, uh, technical than this ride was. This was very scenic, 
farting around, taking pictures, you know, they were opening up to the, to the public to get, you know, some, some, uh, attention to the crossbar. 10 miles. We got done at one o'clock. My, my friend Todd Muse and I, uh, typically ride together. He was out with me after we got done riding. We went and had lunch. Didn't feel anything bad at lunch. Went home. Uh, I'm guilty as probably other people are. My mid-afternoon Saturday nap was on the schedule, so uh, that's what we did next. When I laid down, I felt this pain in my chest. I just finished lunch, so I'm chalking it up to heartburn, and but it was more intense than I'd ever felt heartburn to be. I sat up, didn't say anything to Tanya yet. I, I sat up, and strangely enough, I turned my head a certain way, and I felt relief, which is strange. Felt some relief, so I rolled over and laid down again. Same uh, pain came back. But this time, my left shoulder and my left hand went numb, and I then calculated two and two together, and I said, that's not a good combination. Mm. And that's when I did tell Tanya. I said, I have this pain in my chest, and my left arm is numb. She goes, do you think we need to go somewhere? And I said, let me just get up and kind of walk it off. So I get out of bed and I make it to the end of the bed and I can't go any further. Not that I'm out of breath, nor did I pass out in the traditional, you know, the, the movie version of a heart attack, you know, someone keeling over. I just, it was, the, the pain was so intense right under the collarbone. And again, my left arm was numb that I put my leg up on this stool that we've got at the end of the bed and I just couldn't go any further. And she said, we're going to the ER. Mm. Everything aligned. Everything aligned, Jason. Everything aligned that she put me in the car. We went to the Northwest Texas Hospital ER right there at uh, Town Square. Nobody was in line. The The only thing that was standing in my way was the guys delivering Jason's deli. Apparently, the night crew was going to have a feast because it was a lot of food. But letting the lady know that I was having chest pains, I mean. Yeah, they'll every, push you right through. Oh, just it's, it, they everything gets their changes. attention. Yes. Uh, if she would have pushed the food off the, the, the desk, she would have. But uh, got me in. And I felt like I was at that ER for 10 minutes. That's how fast everything went. And uh, whenever they had put the, uh, the, the sensors on me to get the EKG, the doctor went out of the room, went to go get the printout, came back in the room. Whenever he left, there were three people in there. There was three nurses in there. When he came back, there were seven nurses in the, in the room. So I knew something was up. And he did say that you're having an active STEMI, which is an acronym, uh, heart attack. And now that I know any better, the only, there's only one worse one than that. Mm. So I'm very lucky. God was was looking after me. They got me from that ER over to Northwest Texas Hospital within about, I would say within about 20 minutes because I was in the cath lab getting my uh, heart cathed and stented um, all at like 630 so I guess I was between that process was about an hour because Tanya looked at her phone. She texted her mom at 532 that I was at the ER and uh, I was done in, in my room at 730. Two hours. That is unbelievably efficient for, for modern medicine. I'm just so grateful to all of the uh, the people involved. And and I should say, like, we're recording this about a week and a half mm-hmm. after that day, right? Yeah, October 15th yeah. is when it happened. How are you feeling? Like, How do you feel now? The I'll tell you, the only uncomfortable part is the insertion point in my growing area. 
And that is still so unbelievable that they go in near the Come bottom, on, guys, get in there closer. Near right? the bottom of your body and the midpoint of your body, I guess, and go all the way up to the heart. And how they figured out how to do that is just unbelievable. People tell me we're amazing with technology. That's hands down nothing compared to what they do with, with medical science because what he did, putting a stent in this little metal thing that goes microscopically into your body, a balloon, uh, again, not, just not knowing barely what that is, but all I care is that it saved my life. And I'm here talking to you a week and a half later and things are great. Things are very, very good. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by Texas Tech Physicians Pediatrics, which provides expert-driven care starting at birth all the way to adolescence to help kids grow happy and healthy. And because the doctors at Texas Tech Physicians are also leading educators and researchers, children across the panhandle have access to accomplished pediatric specialists right here in Amarillo. And that covers 11 different specialties from cardiology and neurology to oncology and neonatology. You can get the care your child needs, and you can get it close to home. Learn more by visiting texastechphysicians.com. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you probably also know about the local magazine I co-founded, Brick and Elm. Of course, I want you to subscribe to the magazine. I want you to buy it on newsstands, but you may not know about two free email newsletters associated with it. There's one called Brickly. And Brickley arrives every Tuesday as a weekly news roundup about Amarillo and Canyon. And then we've introduced another one recently called Flavorillo. And Flavorillo lands in your inbox every other Thursday. It's a guide to local food, drink, restaurant-related events, and more. Both of these newsletters are free, and you can subscribe to them at brickandelm.com. That's brickandelm.com. Okay, I'm back with Pedro Limas. Pedro, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes, and I, I picked this for you, its collection includes hundreds of artifacts discovered in Paladuro Canyon, including metal arrowheads from the early 1800s that show the Plains Indians likely traded with cultures from far outside this area. And I was just imagining a metal arrowhead. Uh, being something you you ride over in your bike or something like that, <laughs> you wouldn't enough, want to hit that. There's enough cactus out there yeah. that uh, that give us trouble and, and rattlesnakes apparently. But uh, I love the Panhandle Plains Museum. Just as a side note, we did a project out there uh, for the the 80s. Mm-hmm. It was and we got to I got to shop like garage sales and stuff like that for old televisions and tube TVs. Oh, cool. And we did, we helped them make an installation that had looping video. Yeah, I remember like that. that. Remember that? That exhibit. It so was I, really, really fun to be a part of, for sure. you, you got to figure out how to make all those old TVs and technology work again, That's right. right? That's exactly right. Okay, learn more about the museum at panhandleplains.org. Okay, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I've always said it. we are the buckle of the, the nation. I-40 goes all the way through us, and we're the center. We're the absolute center. So we obviously should be on the map, and we're going there. Where There's so many industries coming in. We're growing at a positive rate. You know, our city, uh, with its, you know, shortfalls, we are growing still uh, at a very rapid rate. What I see for it is to be uh, a very good tourist destination. Not that we have like all of these theme parks. I mean, Wonderland is great, but we don't have a lot of attractions. 
Powder Canyon is a big, big attraction. I'll tell you from the lines that are backed up whenever I'm wanting to, I'm in a hurry to go mountain biking and it's a Labor Day weekend or something like that. Boy, the line gets backed up. So uh, what I see it in 10 years is just a very strong stop for people traveling through. And I want it to be a destination. Okay. Other than wind, which I know you fought as a biker, uh, what does this area have too much of? You know, sometimes when I hear you ask that question and I get the different answers, uh, I don't think Emerald has too much of really anything. Uh, I think we need more of stuff, uh, more of nice attractions and all. Uh, too much, uh, I would have said wind, but of course you can't say that. Yeah, that's but off the table. Now. It is off the table. It's too easy. Ta- it is too easy. So I'm not going to drag this this answer or question out because I don't think we have too much of anything. I think we're we're a very quaint like I told you, big, small town. I think we're in good shape. Okay, channel. what do we not have enough of then? I don't think we have enough nightlife. We don't have enough uh, entertainment. I I really uh, envy your position and, and your engagement in the Hoodoo Mural Festival and stuff like that. Um, I just want more concerts, more live shows. And I know that we're trying to find a solution for the Civic Center. Um, I do see a lot of concerts going to, to Lubbock. Mm-hmm. But... You know, even the the big Texan with what the, what's the Starlight name? Ranch again. I love the Lees for doing their part in in drawing the the nightlife because even growing up, knowing that we did have SRO and Pizzazz and Hummers. When you think back to the days that we did see the Toadies and the Hunger and some other concerts that I remember going to, the uh, you know Big Country. I've seen Big Country here. Uh, some some uh, great artists. We need more of that. And people need a reason to stop here. Being that it is I-40, you know, we can get artists that stop here. They stop here anyway. Right. This is where they rest. And you can see the tour buses. They just don't have a place to They might as well pick up another couple dollars by playing, uh, you know, at the Civic Center or Starlight or whatever it may be. This would be a great opportunity for us to, uh, you know, revive. And that's what we don't have enough of is, is, is a night scene. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? Awesome place to raise kids. Awesome place to raise kids. I am just, I thank my lucky stars that we haven't been uh, on the news for anything negative like a school shooting. Just like this heart attack, whenever you say it it can never happen to me, Mm -hmm. you know, it won't happen to me. I hate seeing the school shootings, but I like the fact that they're not in our backyard. The, The fact that, you know, they're in other places doesn't make us immune to it by any means. But I do feel like Emerald is such an amazing place. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you grew up in. Anybody that comes out of certain neighborhoods will have, uh, a, you know, a ranting and raving experience about their their growing up life. At least everybody that I've talked to, yeah. the, most, the vast majority of the people that I've talked to, love the way that they've grown up in Emerald, Texas. What's your favorite local neighborhood? I like the neighborhood we live in. We live in the Greenways. And I like the fact that, especially now that I need to exercise more low impact exercising, we have the, the, the parkway in the greenways to walk on. Uh, we are, believe it or not, that the dating this, this, um, podcast, we're getting a natural grocers built right outside yep. our, the, the parkway there. It has just recently been announced, right? That's right. Just recently been announced. And that is going to be good for us to walk for our health 
to go get healthy food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of a kind of double dip there. But I love our neighborhood, the Greenways. They do have special events uh, like uh, picnics in the in the summertime, free ice cream. Uh, they had a recent. They had a pumpkin pickup to where you were able to go and get your own family's personal pumpkin. So uh, that was another thing that they gave away. But Eddie Scott did an amazing job in developing the Greenways. It's I've, I've mentioned before. Uh, it's the best place to walk and see a sunset. Like if you walk through Wolfland, mm-hmm. you can't see no. any horizon. There's too many big right. trees, it's big true. houses. True. You can see all of that, you mm-hmm. know, from the Greenways. Mm-hmm. And so it, if you if you like to walk with a view, mm-hmm. like it's the best place for it in Amarillo. Especially the streets that do run east and west. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what time of year, that sun will set right in the middle of the street, which is amazing. And you can walk through the parkway like I was talking about and, and experience that. And then getting, like you were talking about, getting out past into the other parkway where there's the swing sets and stuff right, like that. Right. That's completely it's wide open. open. It's wide open. It's completely wide open. What's your favorite local restaurant? My local favorite restaurant is, I'm going to have to say La Fiesta. And I'll tell you why. Because it's close to our work. And we're like the the, the guys at Cheers where the, everybody knows your name. Mm-hmm. We go in at least once, sometimes twice a week for lunch. And uh, they almost just put our food down in front of us because they know exactly what we want. I've had to change my selection <laughs> recently. Uh, Tanya and I both get our salads. Hers is chicken. Mine is typically fajita beef. And Monday of this week, I changed mine to chicken. So I'm not going to abandon meat altogether, but it's going to be in moderation, you know, beef. So I, we love La Fiesta, especially for their special hot sauce. Yeah, uh, that they mix for us, and it's it's a real gr- great place. And Roy and Ashley have done a great job. Yeah, one at of the original Tex-Mex places in Amarillo. Sure. The the Barra family just oh they, yeah, they kind of set the standard for and, sure, for sure. What's your favorite local coffee shop? Being that I don't drink coffee, I don't drink coffee, so I can't say that I have a local coffee shop. Uh, but we do get our tea at HTO, so okay. that that would be it's close uh, enough. Then. It is, it is, and you know Hillside and Coulter has evolved in the offerings of restaurants, you know, so uh, also with the natural grocers that's coming in, we have stuff around our area. We didn't used to, we had to, you know, drive certain areas to uh, certain uh, miles away to, to get good food and whatever, but uh, we're doing well there. So I like HTO. Okay. I, I almost uh, didn't ask you this one cause I thought the answer would be too obvious, but when was the last time you visited Paladura Canyon? <laughs> so the last time I visited Paladura Canyon was, about a week before the our little incident, and uh, it's funny that my writing buddies have had alternating heart issues. Have they really? Yes. So uh, Craig, uh, a gentleman that I ride with, he had a heart cath, but he, nothing like mine. But the reason he had a heart cath was again he was having some irregularities. But his apparently his arteries go they normally go from large, medium, small. Uh, apparently his go from medium, small to tiny. Okay. So there's just some medication that will take care of that. And then that friend of mine, Todd, uh, had a checkup or whatever it may be. But it's funny that we've each had to take our turns of taking it easy on each other. So when I get back into the groove of things, it's their turn to take it easy on me. So, uh, yeah, last time I visited was a, a week ago. And I'm going to be honest with you, before we started mountain biking, I thought trip to Powder Canyon was just boring. Honestly, hmm. I'm not a hiker. I don't like to hike. So um, I had no reason to go out there. So anytime that Tanya was excited to go, you know, take the kids for a hike or whatever it may be. 
it wouldn't include me, uh, or we just wouldn't go because if I wouldn't go, but mountain biking, it's if, if, even if a pass, I don't, uh, not that they should change their rates, a pass is 80 bucks for the year to get in. We use that up in the first month. Oh yeah. That we You're had. there weekly, right? <laughs> weekly. Weekly. A couple times a week. Absolutely. So if that pass ended up being three, four, five hundred dollars $500, we would still end up with it because it would still be a value. And it's, it's one of the premier mountain biking destinations in the state, absolutely. maybe in the Southwest. It absolutely point. is. You know, we take part of the, uh, part in the 24 hours in the Canyon. Ryan Parnell has done a great job of, uh, uh, organizing that event. And I understand that you, you and your brother, uh, you know, play a big part in that as well. So, which is really, really nice. But if, if, uh, Powder Canyon wasn't there, we'd have to, we'd be making more trips to find cool places to mountain bike because we are the plains of Texas and mm-hmm. thank God we've got the Canyon because <laughs> it, it wouldn't be as fun without that challenging yeah, you'd, uh, terrain. You'd be, a, you'd be a road biker. Though. I'd be a road biker. Gosh, and I don't like road biking. All right. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like uh, listeners to know about or to experience? I am very blessed to be on the board of the uh, Airmiller Airy Foundation and on the board of Downtown Women's Center. Uh, what's coming up is the Panhandle Gives uh, opportunity, which will start November 21st. Mm-hmm. So it's right around the corner. Uh, I urge you to go to panhandlegives.org or .com, either one. You can probably find it. And there's a list of, we now, I just, I was at a board meeting yesterday. There are now 214 nonprofits uh, taking part of that. Okay. So you will find someone just that keeps you, growing. Uh, absolutely. Just, you will find somebody to, uh, be philanthropic with. So go there because there are matched funds from the Emerald Foundation. That's why it's so important. It's only a week long. So it is important that you give during that time right. because there's matched funds. You're, uh, I, I forget what the percentage is, but there are matched funds. Yeah, that the, the percentage there. is complicated, but yeah. whatever dollar you give is going to go a lot further that, if you give during that period. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That So that's why I hold that near and dear to my heart. Okay. Pedro Lemus, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Jason. I'm glad we made it happen. I'm glad you're still here to do it. (laughs) I'm glad I'm still alive to be here and do it, for sure. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Pedro for the interview and to Angelina Marie for editing this episode. And hey, if if you like the show, uh, and I assume you did because you listened this far, would you consider rating and reviewing it wherever you listen to podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, It's a pretty easy step, and it helps other people find the show. I also want to say thanks to sponsors Texas Tech Physicians Pediatrics, to Mind and Child's Parenting 101 course, and, of course, to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Hey, Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey, Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 274. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.